0: we're continuing to talk about elect exiles this morning, and we 're going to be looking at uh, one Peter two. so if you want to turn to that, uh, one Peter two, four to ten, and so far in the series, this sounds a bit boomy to me i don 't know if it's is it okay to you Is it all right yeah, yeah? okay that 's fine. Um, so far, Peter's letter, which is to uh, aim to scattered Christian exiles, so people who have been thrown across the nations, basically mostly up into Asia, into what's now Turkey. Um, but it includes us. It's not just them. It includes us. And it remind, it's, so far, we've, we've been reminded of, of who we are and what God has done for us and how we should live as aliens in this world and that's a key to our understanding that we do live as aliens in this world we're no longer just naturally born people in this world we've been born again we belong to the kingdom of heaven and therefore we are aliens in this world and quite often persecuted for that in one way or another um and we've been reminded again in this nation it's the persecution isn't too bad. It's an awful lot worse in other nations. But even in this nation, and I think particularly of, of the, the young people and people, children in school, but also in work, workplaces, there is persecution of one form or another. We don't really fit in. So we've been looking at how, as obedient children, we're not to conform to the world's ways of doing things. About where to conform, to conform to God's ways of doing things and God says be holy because I am holy and we've been reminded particularly last week in Joe's talk which I thought was just brilliant it was a really, really good, good talk and if you haven't managed to listen to that if you missed it and haven't managed to listen to it do, do look it up online and have a listen it was very, very good helpful in helping us to live in the way that we should do and... So God says we're already made holy. It's not something that we've got to make ourselves. It's not something we've got to work up to. It's not something that we have to struggle and strive to, to be holy. God has already made us holy, and we can live out of that holiness. We can live in that way, and it's just a matter of following him. And, and some of what we're going to talk about this morning is kind of around that. So up to this point, Peter's really aimed his teaching at individuals. Uh, But in this passage, he starts to move that and talk to the church, talk to us as a body of people. He does this still with the principal themes in his letter. So those themes of hope, of faith, of obedience, of perseverance in the face of opposition and trust in God they're all still there and they all they they flow right through the whole letter that he's writing to the to the exiles so let's look at the passage and we kind of be missing a little bit off the front there but i'm sure you'll be able to to get it curtains in the way (laughs) yeah thanks um so it says as you come to him the living stone Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy what an amazing piece of scripture and uh, I was so delighted with how the service has sort of come together this morning because I don't know if you know but we don't do a lot of talking to each other before a service you know there's there's someone who's speaking there's someone who's leading worship there's someone who's leading the service and then there's you and so often you're bringing words that so line up with everything else that's going on in the service. And you don't know that. And, you know, I haven't talked to Johnny before the service, but, and yet but all the songs that we've been singing are so in line with what God's speaking through, through this word, uh, through this scripture, and, you know, what was coming through you. I love the way that God does that. And it's God. It's not us. Um, it's just wonderful. So I'm going to look at the passage in in three sections, really. So in in verses 4 and 5, beginning there, Peter paints a picture which is full of Old Testament reference, describing our place and calling in the New Testament as New Testament believers. And it, it describes specifically the church, what we are as a body of people together. And then in verses 6 and 8, he gives three quotations drawn from Isaiah and Psalms and he does it to provide a scriptural foundation for what he's just been saying. And it links the Old Testament writings into the new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus. These serve to clearly contrast the position of believers and non-believers so you'll see that in the passage it speaks about believers speaks about non-believers it speaks about believers as the church and non-believers as those who rebel against God and then in verses 9 and 10 at the end he reiterates and further qualifies our purpose and calling as believers in the light of what God has done for us so it's a little sandwich of a, a, a piece of scripture but it flows right on from the, the bit of the letter that, that's come before. And it flows right into the bit of the letter that, that we'll be looking at in, in coming weeks. God is building a house. So what we're beginning to uh, discover as, as we read through this letter is about the house that God is building As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. That's how Peter starts off. He immediately starts by pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is a precious stone, a living stone chosen by God. As you come to him... It's interesting this living stone thing because Jesus spoke to Peter do you remember after Peter had proclaimed you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus looks to Peter and says you're Peter which means rock and on this rock I will build my church now what is he saying you know on peter i'm going to build my church no he wasn't but he what he was saying was you've just declared the truth you have spoken out the truth right from your heart you are believing you have faith that i am the messiah that i have been put in place and around me the church will build so that's what my church will be built on people of faith And Peter, the first one, against all the other things that were being said about Jesus and much opposition, Peter was standing up. He was saying, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you are the one we've been waiting for. I believe that you have been chosen by God and you have come to earth from heaven and you are the one. That was a very, very bold thing to say. And Peter was bold. He wasn't always right, but he was bold. (laughs) And that's what god builds his church on so as you come to christ as we come to christ it's not just talking about us as new believers it's talking about us on a daily basis it's talking about us right now we've walked into this room here we've come together as the body of christ and we have come to christ because he has promised that his presence will be with us as we meet together He has promised, I will be with you always. So at home, at work, at school, at college, at everywhere we go, in the shops, out in the streets, his promise is, I will be with you as we come to Christ. And that's the important thing, that we do come to Christ, that we recognize his presence, that we come before him. And just as we're seated, standing before him now, Before his throne room, in his presence, we have come to Christ. So when we're praying at home, we're coming into the presence of God. We're recognizing his presence amongst us. When we're worshiping at home or here, and we've we've felt that presence this morning, haven't we? The presence of the living God amongst us. And we've seen the evidence of it in the words that have been brought, in the prayers that have been brought, in the worship that we have. You know, we sense the Holy Spirit working through us and rising in us, and, and as we turn our attention to God. So it's as individuals and together. So we come to Him, the Living Stone. Jesus is not dead; He's alive he rose again we were singing one of the one of the songs earlier on how he rose from the dead he is alive today we worship a living god not a dead god that's that differentiates us from every other religion around founders of the religion died but they didn't rise again but our god jesus rose again from the dead He's moving, he's relating to us, he's, you know, he, he moves amongst us. We're, we're not worshipping a God. Well, we do worship a God that's never changed, never will change in that sense, but he relates to us. He is a person. In fact, he's three persons in one. And we need to relate to him as a person, not just a God distant, far away. We come into his presence. As you come to him, the living stone. In Mark twelve twenty seven, Jesus addresses the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they believed when you come to the end of your life, you die. That's the end of it. That's it. All you've got to pass on is what you pass on to your children, and that's why it was so important to have children. Um, but that was it. That was the end of your life. Bang, gone. And Jesus spoke to them, and he said you're not right. You're not right. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And he, he put that right in front of them. He said, your teaching is not right. It is wrong. God is living. God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. So when we come to the end of our earthly life, we move into our eternal life our lives continue so he's a living stone and this is jesus in whom the fullness of god dwells and if you look at this stone what what's it talking about it's a stone that has been used in a building and we'll look at that as we go on but the point here is It relates to the replacement of the temple of worship that was stood there right before them in Israel and that Jesus so often went and visited and spoke in and taught in. It's related to that temple and Jesus is now the temple. So the fullness of God came to live in Jesus the temple originally was there for the presence of God to come and live in. It was his footstool on earth, if you like, his, the, the pl- his place, his dwelling place on earth. So it goes right back to that tent that we, as we read through Exodus, the tent that they made, the tabernacle, and the glory of God came down into that tabernacle and you know people couldn't even go in there because the presence of god was so strong and the glory of god was so strong that no one could go in there when when that was happening um but it it relates here the 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 living stone relates to that temple because that temple is being replaced Um, after uh, after jesus confronted the jews in the in the physical temple he said Destroyed this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So he was referring actually to his own body. He was saying, You destroyed this temple, which he knew was going to happen. He was going to die on the cross. And he said, I will raise it again in three days. You can't destroy this temple, it will be raised again. So in this building that we're looking at here, the living stone, Jesus, we are referring to the new temple. And then it says, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So throughout the Old Testament, the scriptures point to the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And yet the people didn't recognize him. So in Mark 1, 11, we've got Jesus' baptism and God speaks out of the sky. And he says, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. But so many of the people didn't recognize him. And then in the transfiguration, in Mark 9, he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Well, the transfiguration, there weren't too many people around. There were Peter, John and James and Moses and Elijah. But they heard God's voice. And again, we're just reminded, God's not the uh, the, the, the God of the dead, but of the living. So Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter, John and James, they met them. How extraordinary must that have been? Quite incredible. And then he moves on. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ so jesus is not physically on earth now but we the church made up of jews and gentiles are the earthly manifestation of the temple and we're also the holy priests who are serving in that temple so it's we've got to get our heads around that we are the temple of the living god we are the dwelling place of the living god on earth but we are also the priests who are serving in that temple who are worshipping him and pointing to him. So that replaces the Old Testament representation of the temple. It started off as a tent, a tabernacle, but then Solomon built the temple. The glory of God came down into that temple. And we've gone on in time now, and God has replaced all of that with his church. We are the dwelling place of God. So there's no need anymore for the blood sacrifice of bulls and goats. I mean, I wouldn't have enjoyed that as a priest. I mean, you just spend your whole day slaughtering animals and splashing their blood all over everything and it's a sort of... Man, (laughs) I I can't even imagine doing that, but uh, that's what they had to do. But all of that has been dealt with because Jesus has fulfilled the requirements of God in terms of sin in terms of sacrifice for sin and in terms of redemption in that way so no longer does that have to happen but what do we do we offer spiritual sacrifices well what are that what are we supposed to do what what sacrifices we making because a sacrifice is a sacrifice isn't it it's something that you have to go without in order to fulfill okay so the sacrifice we we get called to wonderful sacrifice we get called to prayer to set time aside to pray to come before God to worship him prayer worship and service so Jesus makes it quite clear we are to be the servants of each other and of those in the world that is our calling that is what we're we're called to do and our sacrifices are acceptable to God only through the work of Jesus Christ it's not what we manage to do it's what we do through him because of what he's made us because he's filled us with his Holy Spirit and we're able to give sacrifices that are acceptable to him so Cain and Abel one gave a sacrifice that was acceptable God the other one gave a sacrifice that wasn't acceptable we don't have to worry about that anymore because it's the Holy Spirit working through us enables us to bring sacrifices that are acceptable to God so when we come before God and we feel unworthy and we feel like what can I give you God we're coming from the wrong angle all we need to do is to say God I thank you that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And by your Spirit, all of the sacrifices that I make, all the prayers that I can pray, I can do through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, and they're acceptable to you. So if you think you're not a good prayer, think again. And ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and enable you to pray. If you think you're not a good worshipper, think again because as you allow the holy spirit to work in your life you will produce beautiful perfect worship towards god and i'm not talking about singing with a voice that's in tune <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's in tune or not and johnny it doesn't matter if, if the guitar's played in tune or out of sync or there's one string on the guitar it really doesn't matter at all it, it's it's what the Holy Spirit does through us. It comes from the heart. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working through our hearts, out of our hearts, giving perfect worship to God and praying in a way that is acceptable to him. A uh, guy I really look up to in terms of his understanding of Scripture and things, a guy called Wayne Grudem, in his introduction to, and commentary to 1 Peter, and I'm going to read through this, And it's a little bit of a squodge of a commentary, but he puts this in such a succinct and a brilliant way that I want to read it to you. And actually, I've I've printed off some copies. There's 10 copies at the back there. If you want this, then just pick one up on your way out. And if they run out, just let us know and we'll ping one over to you. But I thought this was such a good way of putting it. He says, The long history of God's dwelling place among his people finds New Testament fulfillment in the people of God themselves. The glory of God the visible evidence of his presence among his people had led the people out of Egypt as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's glory had fulfilled the tabernacle under Moses and had later filled Solomon's temple. But it had departed from the temple in the time of the the return of, of Ezekiel because of the sins of the people. Of the temple built after the return from exile, God promised that the latter glory of his house shall be greater than the former. But his glory had never descended to fill it as it had filled the temple under Solomon. The faithful in Israel then waited over 400 years for, f- for the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. The fulfillment of this prophecy was witnessed by righteous Simeon and Anna when Mary and Joseph brought to Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem temple, the infant Jesus, the Savior who was the Messiah, the Lord. His presence was the greater glory of that temple. But he also brought its judgment and word of its destruction. For his own body was the greater and more perfect temple of God the one in whom all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell thus john could say of jesus life the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth we have beheld his glory glory as of the only son from the father in the new testament jesus himself is the new and better temple of god the dwelling place of god among men however after pentecost The dwelling place of God is not only Jesus himself, but also his people. He promises to be in the midst of them, to be with them always, and says that he himself, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, will dwell with his people, so that now in the church age, the people of God are the true temple of God, the place where God dwells. When Christ returns and there are new heavens and a new earth, the temple of God will be the whole earth. For shining forth from the throne of God in the new Jerusalem, the glory of God will fill the whole earth, and all the nations shall walk by the sight of God's glory. Then God will be king over all the earth, and the whole earth shall come to worship before God. In anticipation of that great culmination of all history, the church, even now, is given the task of declaring God's glory among the nations. Don't you think that's a great way of just putting it all Um, so in that it refers also and written down there's all the scriptures that it refers to there so do do feel free to take a copy of that and just go and mull over it this week go and look up the scriptures and see just what god has done and this is the picture that peter's painting and he now goes on to to support it with three scriptures first one from isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. see i lay a stone in zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So that word Zion, the city of God, it's, it's a clear reference to the temple. It's a, it is the, the, the geographic place where the temple is situated. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. A cornerstone is the first foundational stone laid in a building. And quite often, you, I mean, you see it on the telly, don't you, of uh, a buildings being built and some high-up person comes and lays the cornerstone. They lay that first stone. I'm sure that the builders sort of square it up afterwards and make sure that it's, you know, in the right place and doing, doing the right thing. But uh, it, it's it's a celebration. It's, it's, it's showing this is a, a precious stone. It's a, um, a cornerstone. It's the foundation of this building and so forth. So from it all the other stones will take their position in line which is why it's so important that it's laid in the right place in the right way and every other stone will relate to that stone it's chosen and it's precious and certainly in the old days they would choose a very precious stone a beautiful stone and that will become the corner stone and we see that reflected in the scripture here Of how God held Jesus so precious, and He was chosen. So it's Jesus who was initially; He was the chosen one. And it says, "The one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame." We're about halfway through this talk now. Do you want want a little intermission? I'm, I'm going to play you a little video. Do you want to see how stones are put together? I, I really like this video, so I'm hoping it's going to work.
1: And this is really showing just the point chisel at work, so taking off a high point of the rock. You really want to dig in with the first tap, and then it usually takes one or two more to sort of break a big chunk off of it and get it out of the way. some basic fitting. Usually you kind of have to just use your eye. It takes a while to get used to the shapes. Um, Natural shapes are pretty difficult, but you can really start to see how you can manipulate the rock and uh, make those shapes start to work to your advantage. This is the point where if you have patience and you really take the time to make the pieces fit tight together, you can create something really special. Take your time. Just double check that it fits. If not, take a little bit more off until it does. Get it nice and tight. And you can see some of our finished projects using the exact same rock and basic methods. Especially this one with the capping, you can see we chose nice 90 degree pieces.
0: I like that little video. Do you like that? (laughs) Imagine doing that all day. Wow. And coming out with such beautiful product. But if you notice, there were some words he used there. He he talked about taking time, being patient. And what he was doing was chipping bits off the stone. Now, Jesus didn't need chipping bits anything chipped off him is perfect he was chosen, he was precious God chose a perfect stone to go in that place but we need bits chipped off don't we, it can be painful but the thing is God God just doesn't when we first come to Christ chip all the bits off and sort of shave us all down and say well there we are in there because Jesus is a living stone, this building is moving, it's changing, it's, it's growing, it's all the rest of it Um, So we're being placed, first of all, in relation to Jesus. And that's really important for us to capture. We're being placed in relation to Jesus and we're submitted to the Holy Spirit shaping us. So what does that mean? It means we need to keep looking to Jesus because that's where we get our position from. That's where we get our alignment from. And the Holy Spirit is chipping bits away, isn't he? And we all know that. And we all know it's painful at times. We all know the process that that God is going through in changing us. And another thing. We all have our place in relationship to each other. So he's placing one stone here, next stone there, then there's one above, there's one above that one, there's one over here. And that whole shape of that building is taking place because God is putting each stone in place. And each one of us is a living stone that God is putting in place. That means we need to be cognizant. We need to understand where we are in relationship to other people and that we need to be serving them and we need to be relating to them and those relationships need to be good relationships, not bad relationships. And there might be a few bits need chipping off there because something goes wrong and you're not getting on with someone and, you know, God has to do that bit of shaping and working on us. And he continues to do that. And sometimes we move, move, place, you know, Wendy and I have moved several times gone into different churches and we've had to be replaced in that church and and you know when then there's a whole load of fitting to do there and all the time god's working on our character and things are changing and he's he's doing stuff it's amazing really and uh, you know i found god continually working on me and there are two big areas that he's he's taken a lot of time to work on and, and thank God that he has and thank God that you know he's doing that work because I, I was a very proud person and I still have to deal with areas of that you know it hasn't that process hasn't finished yet but pride was a big thing in my life and it, it needed to go because God hates the proud and he lifts up the humble and the other thing is, it, it was that reverse of pride that I've always felt unworthy and I've always felt that other people are so much better than me and I've always tried, sort of kind of striven to live up to standards and things and God's had to deal with that as well. And he's still dealing with that in many ways in my, my life. And I find that very painful at times because, you know, a crunch point comes and he's saying, no, no, I just need to knock that bit off there And then you'll fit in better with that person there. And it it goes on. And then you know the process because you go through it as well, don't you? And it may not be pride or or insufficiency with you. It might be something completely different with you. But God is working on you. And that's what he does. So the key thing here is only if we put our trust in him will we find ourselves in the place of honor that God intends because He does. He intends to put us in a place of honor, not shame. And you, you remember that the culture that was Peter was speaking into here—it was honor-shame culture. We we live in a culture that's built more about success and failure. Um, but then honor and shame were the big things. So Peter speaks right into that, and we do need to understand that. In in our present culture, we need to uphold honor. Yeah. So then he moves on to another scripture, and this is out of Psalm 118, uh, verse 22. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now actually there's a slight translational oddity that came in in the authorized version and for some reason carried on to the RSV the revised standard version and then carried on in, into the NIV and it's not a particularly good translation so it should read a much better to read to you who believe honor and it follows on from the previous scripture which says that never or the previous thing that Peter said about never being put to shame So, we share in the chosen and precious state of the cornerstone. So, as we align ourselves with Him, His honor comes upon us. And that's the fullness of life that that God gives to us. It's wonderful. The stone that the builders rejected. Who were the builders? They were the rulers and the leaders of Jerusalem at that time, of of Israel at that time. They were the leaders of the people. And Jesus confronted them in major ways. In Matthew 21, Jesus uses the same scripture. As this is uh, uh, Psalm 118 when addressing the leaders following the parable of the wicked tenants you remember the wicked tenants and the the owner had gone away and when he sent uh, his servants they killed his servants or they beat them up and sent them back and they didn't give the owner the rent and eventually he sends his son and they kill the son thinking well if the son's killed then the inheritance is dead and we won't have to pay any more rent anymore Uh, well they hadn't paid it anyway had they and Jesus was very pointedly saying those things to the leaders of Jerusalem, the teachers. And they realized it. And then he says to them, when they they come to him, he says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and it will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So regardless of what these people were teaching Jesus did become the cornerstone Jesus has become the cornerstone and Peter further describes it's using Isaiah 8:14 a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they, do, uh, they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So they here is much more general. It refers to all unbelievers, not just the leaders then. This now refers to all unbelievers. They disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. It, it's, this is difficult scripture here. Destined for Judgment. We were all once unbelievers, destined for judgment. All of us, every single one of us. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, has chosen each one of us and put us into his building. Now, we can't argue against that. He's God. We're human. We can come up with all sorts of theories and things and try and explain things around it. Why are some people going to be judged? Why are we chosen? I don't know why I'm chosen. I really don't. God certainly didn't choose me for my intellect or my prowess or anything. Certainly not my bride and all the rest of that. He chooses the weak and the failures and those who struggle. And others ignore his message and they continue destined for destruction. Which once we were also. The scripture however, always leaves room for repentance. And nowhere in the scripture do you not see that possibility. As long as a person lives on this earth, there is room for repentance and turning. And that's why we preach the gospel. Because people out there don't know the joy that we have, and we want to share it with them that they have the opportunity to turn from their ways and come and be part of the building that God is building. so we are elect exiles a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so what are we a chosen people it's not it's not the choice like a football team you know at school i was always you know in the gaggle there waiting for whoever had been nominated the leader of each team to choose me and i was so disappointed because I was never chosen the first time. And I was never chosen the second time. And I was never chosen the third time. And then I was beginning to get, oh, what's going to happen? And I wasn't chosen at all. <laughs> and I'm not surprised because I was rubbish at football. Absolutely rubbish. You know, balls never went in the direction I intended to go. I hadn't a clue what I was doing. But it's not like that. That isn't the way God chooses us. But He does look at us and say, I see that person. He's struggling. He's really messed up he's really or she is really at at wit's end coming to rescue you isn't that just god's mercy we're a royal priesthood it's interesting because he, he he starts at the beginning of the the scripture saying holy priesthood and now he's talking about a royal priesthood because as we've been saved, as we've been brought into his family, he's the king. We've been brought into his family. We're now a royal priesthood, and this is very different. And in the Old Testament, we do lead, uh, read about kings who were undertaking the priestly office as well. But that's, that's how we stand. We've been brought into We've been made sons and daughters. We've been given that inheritance. And we're now royal priests who can serve the living God in serving each other in praying in worshiping in giving honor to him royal priesthood and we're a holy nation this is a completely new ethnic group when jesus came he set up a completely new ethnic group if you like right across the world and that's why we find when we go wherever in the world and come across other christians that immediately we've got so much that we can relate together on and I, I love travelling and I love coming across Christians across the other side of the world and, and wherever I go and knowing that we stand on the same ground, we're part of the same family, we worship the same God, we recognise in each other the same things that God is doing and can, can just join straight into that community. It's wonderful. It really is amazing how God does that. We're also God's special posi- possession. I don't know what your special possessions are. I've got a few things at home that I really love, love using. And, you know, there can be very, very simple things like my mug. I love drinking coffee out of my mug. In fact, so much that i got three mugs the same so that if one was dirty, you could go in the dishwasher. Oh, I've got another one that's the same. And it just fits in my hand nicely and keeps my hand warm. And I love drinking coffee out of it and all so that. It's a special possession that I've got. Silly, isn't it? And yet, there are things that we love possessions that we have but but how much more does god see us it's a special possession in his building and he puts us so carefully chipping away at those bits that don't fit puts us so carefully into his body so that we relate really well with other people and so that we fulfill the calling that he's given to us so i need to move on because time's running (laughs) time's (laughs) running and We're also the people of God. Once you were no people, now you are the people of God. And we need to recognize that. We walk as the people of God. We have a responsibility together as the people of God on earth to show forth God's praise and his glory and speak about him. And also, we're rescued by God's mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy and each one of us has received mercy from God. And we're called to declare God's praise. That is our priestly office now, to declare God's praise. In the things that we do, in the things that we say, in the way that we relate to each other, in the way that we pray, in the way that we worship God, we're called to declare God's praise. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And it's actually quite fitting, really, because our taking of communion provides us with an opportunity to align ourselves with Jesus afresh, to look to him, to realize what he's done for us, to make sure that we're in line, that we're that stone that, if you looked upon in the little video there, there was a beautiful face of stones going all the way along that wall and capped. It was all beautifully done, and that's how we should fit in all taking our line off the cornerstone of Jesus. And also with our fellow Christians, the other living stones around us. It recognizes that we have received mercy. So as we come to the communion table, as we take communion, that understanding that we've received mercy from Jesus, mercy from God. He's paid the price for us. Our sin no longer counts against us. He has dealt with it. So before we go to make, take communion, perhaps as you go to, to, to take the bread off the table and the, the wine, the, um, the juice, just make sure, check your alignment with Jesus. Check that you're in the right place with the other people around you. So if there are things that are perhaps aren't right, Now might be an opportunity to make amends or maybe chat to someone and say, look, I'm really sorry I failed you in this way or I did this wrong, please forgive me. If if that person's not here, then just say, okay, I'm going to do that now in my own heart and in my own mind, but when I have the first opportunity, I'm going to go and talk to that person. So we can do that as we're going up to collect the bread and the wine. And then as we take it, let's just rejoice for what God has done in us and for us, who he's made us, the church he has set us in, and thank him for the future he's prepared for us.